0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it.
1: Now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space Podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro, and my guest in this episode is Serafina Nance. Serafina is a graduate student in astronomy at University of California at Berkeley, and she is someone that I found on social media through her very transparent, very thoughtful, and incredibly poignant description of her journey through undergoing genetic testing for the BRCA or BRCA mutation and undertaking prophylactic mastectomy surgery. This really resonated for me because if you've listened to Explore the Space podcast in the past, you'll know that my wife is a breast cancer survivor and she's been on the show to discuss her diagnosis at the age of 30 and the journey that she's been on since that time. Serafina speaks about her own journey in a really remarkable way that really resonated with me. And then over the many months that I've been following her, she has really just shown herself to be someone of consequence, someone who has important things to say. And having her come on the show to discuss her journey through genetic testing what it's like to be a woman in the physical sciences in graduate school, the barriers that she's encountered, the the challenges that this has presented for her, what her work feels like, what it's like to discover a supernova. This conversation is just an absolute treat from someone who is going to walk a really interesting and a really important road. We actually recorded this episode several months ago, and I've been in touch with her to say, look, I've got the episode. I'm going to air it. Everything is upside down because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I want to thank her for being so understanding. But this is a really refreshing time and a really good time to put this episode out there because we have lots to talk about with respect to coronavirus. It's also important that we talk about and learn about and share other things of import. And what Serafina brings to the table really fits that category nicely. So it's just a delight to put this out there. And I think you're all going to really enjoy it. I want to invite you, as always, to check out the archive of Explore the Space at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter, at ETSshow, on Instagram, at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and I love it when people reach out and we can discuss episodes that have come up, things that you've enjoyed, other people that you might like to hear from. I think that this episode is going to be really sticky. People are going to really enjoy Serafina. She's very, very popular. She's also doing great things. She's got a new YouTube program, Drunk Science, which is outstanding. She was just on NPR today, and that episode of NPR is going to go up. She's just doing wonderful stuff, and this is just a total treat. I think you're all going to really enjoy it. We're going to have more great episodes coming your way as well. Please subscribe to Explore the Space. Please share with your friends and your colleagues. Without further ado, Serafina Nance. Serafina, welcome to Explore the Space. I'm delighted you're here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: You posted something on Twitter that I need to start with. It wasn't that long ago. We have lots to talk about, but there's something that I've (laughs) got to ask you about. And I'm going to tee you up by telling you the date. It was January 9th of this year, 2020. Okay. You found a supernova?
0: I found a supernova. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, really, honestly, my favorite, biggest moment in science. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So...
1: I'm not, I need some basics. (laughs) I just need some fundamentals. What are we talking about and how did you find it?
0: Okay, so... A supernova is an exploding star. Um, Massive stars, when they reach the end of their lives, can explode as supernova. And my research is to try to understand these supernova and to use them to then understand sort of how the universe works and how it is basically expanding with time. And so I do theoretical um, research. So I do a bunch of simulations supernova, trying to understand the physics of what makes them explode. And then I also do the observational side and that's sort of new for me. And so I applied for time on a telescope, which means I went through the submission process where I kind of sold my case about why I wanted to look at supernova. And I was awarded a night every month And so once a month, I stay up all night and I gather data of target galaxies that we think hold candidate supernova. And so the cool thing about this, and this is why I was so excited. I mean, first of all, it's just crazy to be able to see data from a star that's exploded, you know, billions of, you know, miles, light years, whatever unit you want to use, billions of light years away. And, um... The amazing thing is that we were trying to look for one particular type of supernova that we thought already existed. And we actually found a new supernova basically right on top of that old one in that same galaxy that nobody had seen before and so we caught it just like a week after it exploded which was super exciting um and I just like could not contain my excitement I wanted to shout it from the rooftops I was so excited
1: Uh, how do you celebrate the finding of a supernova (laughs) you shared on social media and you did that very nicely because I from (laughs) the time that we agreed you were going to come on the show I'm like I gotta ask about that because clearly that was a like, do you, what is the, what is the reaction? Do you raise a glass? Do you write, what do you do?
0: All of the things I, (laughs) I I was sitting with my advisor and we were going through the data and he was like, hang on, that's not supposed to be there. And we both just kind of stared at it for a second. And then he was like, I think you found something. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. That's Um, wild. Yeah, it was super cool. So then I tweeted about it and I basically ran home and opened a bottle of champagne and just kind of like danced around my apartment in excitement. It was it was surreal. I was like on cloud nine. It was awesome.
1: That is so great.
0: Yeah. It was a lot of fun.
1: What I don't have any I don't, I don't have a I don't have a good comp for that. That just sounds like <laughs> one of those moments. Is it odd that it's happened? You're you're early in your career. You have a long career ahead of you. Is it yeah, odd hopefully. that it's already happened or does that not matter?
0: No. So, I think um I mean, whenever you're looking at stuff in space, you're looking back in time. And I think the really revolutionary discoveries that happen in astronomy happen when you're trying to uncover a particular part about the universe that we don't yet understand. And so this is just one of the many tools that we're going to use to try to then understand it. So it was cool to find one of those tools. It was cool to see some of the data and try to understand what we're going to do with that data. Um, But yeah, I think it's just a really exciting moment for me as a researcher to say, okay, I went to a telescope, I, you know, pivoted it towards that galaxy and I got data from a star that exploded, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago. Um, yeah, it was just, it's, it's surreal. And I think it's a, it's a really great moment. And I think research can be, it can get kind of exhausting. You know, you're working on one part of the field for a very long time and you're debugging code and you're just reading a bunch of papers and wondering why you ever got into it. And I think it was one of those moments where you're just like, oh my God, this is why I do this. And it was really reaffirming and exciting.
1: You you shared it brilliantly and obviously you brought <laughs> us all on board, which is which is really really something and really special. And so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> what is your journey like though? One of the one of the great learning opportunities that I've had personally in being a part of this online universe, but also doing this podcast is getting a much better understanding of the opportunities and barriers that exist, particularly for women and for underrepresented minorities in the sciences. Yeah. As a woman who is entering astrophysics and is doing their graduate work and is, you know, using this technology that is just way out at the sharp edge, what is the sense of it? What is it like? What is the, is it? is it welcoming? Is it supportive? Is it different than you expected? What is that sort of strategic view as you're walking out into this career that I think for a lot of people, a is kind of mysterious. Astrophysics is one of those ethereal aspirational things, but also in a field where as a woman, the experience might be kind of different. What is that strategic view of it like?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, My experience as a woman is absolutely different than the experience of a Black woman in astronomy, for example. And there's only 1% of Black people in astronomy, period, which is devastating and a a huge failure on the part of of academia in general. Um, That said, I think I've absolutely experienced... Barriers and and difficulties and um you know there was a long time and there are absolutely still times and moments where I feel like I don't belong and I I think it it took a lot to push through those moments and it I I had a lot of help I had mentors that believed in me I had um this passion for astronomy that was sort of unbridled I remember. I was in freshman year of college and I was in introductory physics and I had actually never taken a physics class before I guess I took one as a freshman in high school but it was like you know doing arithmetic it really wasn't a real physics course and I did pretty poorly on my first physics class in college and During my winter break, I I went to um, Big Bend in Texas, which is this national park. It's beautiful, and it's right next to an observatory. And so I was with my dad. We were backpacking, and he said, let's take a day and go to the observatory. And so we went. We went to a star party, which is probably not what you think it is. It's basically you get to see through a bunch of telescopes and look at the night sky and look at really interesting objects. and it was freezing cold. It had just snowed. So we were bundled up in our, you know, warmest gear and we got to look at Jupiter. We got to look at the moon. And I think that was really an amazing experience for me because it helped remind me why I am doing what I'm doing. And I think that's been a a really important aspect of my career and how I got to where I am. And, and, you know, for the future is trying to remind myself, despite these barriers and despite a lot of the the issues that, you know, are in academia, there's a reason why I'm doing it and why I chose it. It's, it's very difficult to be the only woman in a room of, you know, 50 other people who are learning about gravitational weights, for example. And it's very different, diff, difficult to, you know, ask questions and sort of get non-answers or be told you, you don't belong here, you should leave the room. And I sometimes
1: that that obtuse, you don't belong here, you should leave the room. Even now in grad yeah. school.
0: Uh, So in grad school, I have encountered less of that directly to my face. I have absolutely um, indirectly basically a professor told someone that we meaning me and one other student were diversity hires because we're the only brown women in the department. Um, So it's just it's it's entrenched. Racism, it's entrenched systemic um, misogyny and sexism that that holds up this fixture of academia that makes it a really toxic place for people, specifically underrepresented minorities, um, to be comfortable. And I think that's really sad because it leads to this exodus of talent. Um, It's not that people aren't, you know, women underrepresented minorities. It's not that they're not excited about STEM or excited about astronomy. It's that it's a very difficult place to stay because there are so many things pitted against you. Um, And so I've been very lucky, but not everybody is, is lucky.
1: I don't mean it to sound like the way I asked that question that I don't believe you or wasn't going to believe your answer. Oh, sure. I think no, it I didn't came think out it that way. I, I appreciate that. I think it came out that way almost because I was asking it rhetorically knowing that the answer was going to suck and it yeah. was going it to be frustrating. And also that opportunity to say, look, this, this, Stuff is so important, and there's there's the opportunity for improvement. So I want to just make that really clear. If I, if it sounded like I was asking from a place of, but that couldn't really happen to you, right? That was not the case at all. It was yeah going to be a bumpy one, but I'm still gonna talk about it.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you clarifying that, and I think, it, you know, it really takes conversations like this um, to explain why this is such a difficult i think there are a lot of people in places of privilege that may not know what it looks like or may not have specific examples we were just talking about climate issues in the department for example and i think um it takes really hard conversations to draw attention to these barriers and these inequalities that that push people out of the field and make academia feel unsafe and make it feel um, really unwelcoming. I remember I was in college and it was particularly bad then. I was, I double majored in physics and in astronomy and my physics classes were essentially all male, all white men. And all my professors were all white men, um, except for one woman. And um, I had one, one particular professor who would make racist jokes during class, would talk about strippers and talk about women in a really demeaning way. And I went to his office hours one time to ask him a question early on in the semester before I'd really picked up on his aura of, you know, how he treated other people. And I asked him questions about the class and about the course material. And he literally just stared at me. He would not answer a single question. And I just stood there really awkwardly and then ended up just leaving the room because I didn't know how to handle it. Um... And I ended up not going to class towards the end of the semester because I was so uncomfortable. Um, and unfortunately, I know women who who literally dropped the major um, because they were uncomfortable with with certain professors and and, in that environment, which is really just devastating.
1: You're very transparent about your joy for the sciences and your joy for astronomy and the work that you do as a grad student, but you're also transparent around these barriers, right? I mean, you're speaking about it on a podcast. When you reflect it back to the institutions that you've been a part of, do they receive it? Do they take it on board? Are they accountable? What sort of response do you get, or do you get much of a response at all?
0: Um, it really depends. I think my department is actively working to improve, but I think there are obviously actors that make that difficult. And that's true of any, anywhere. I really loved actually the astronomy department in Austin. I think that they did a really incredible job of listening to the students. And I had mentors there that advocated um, for for underrepresented minorities and for people who, who may not feel welcome in the department necessarily at the beginning. And I think that's a constant, it's a constant, it's an uphill battle. And unfortunately, the sad part is that it takes the the brunt of the work comes from people who are feeling unsafe and people who feel unwelcome to show the department or the the institution that they feel that way and just sort of have to prove it to them and then brainstorm ways to fix it. And that's so much emotional labor. That's so much time and effort when you know it's the victims really having to to do the work to fix it um and to come up with solutions, so you know it's 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 a very difficult thing, and i I try to keep my passion for astronomy sort of in a sacred space that is separate from academia as an institution, but of course, it's impossible to do that entirely. I think they're Intricately linked to some degree, and um, that's a lot of conscious effort on my part to to try to be mindful of that and and honor both of them separately.
1: It will be interesting to follow the arc of your career to see if that friction point gets easier or smoother. Because I'll be totally honest, that sounds exhausting. And I yeah. say that because I've had a lot of really smart and intelligent people teach me and talk about that. But also just as a human with empathy, that sounds really, really exhausting. It doesn't need to be that hard.
0: Yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. And I think, you know, one example that I say this to people that aren't in academia and potentially aren't familiar with it, academia doesn't have an HR department. We don't have accountability for, for example, Tenured professors, so it makes this really toxic power structure that um, really makes it extremely difficult for people without power, like undergraduates or graduate students who don't have fellowships, or um, you know, community college students who are interning in the department. You know, those sort of people have basically no voice and no one to talk to about their issues, should they have issues with a tenured professor or even a professor. Um, And so, yeah, I think it it is absolutely worth talking about. And it's
1: you Continue. you exude a characteristic that I like and appreciate because I've gotten feedback from my buddies and people that I work with oh, that I, I think I do too, which is you your enthusiasm despite challenges, despite obstacles and barriers, is still what is the most forward facing thing my only access to that is your social media and Twitter and then the interviews that you've done in print and on podcasts and things like that. Is that an intentional choice, acknowledging what you've just described, the, the frustration, the exhaustion, the anger, all of that, plus you're a grad student, which is all of the challenges that are baked in there. Is that an intentional choice or is that is that something that comes, is that something that just sort of comes naturally?
0: I think it's something that comes naturally. I think it's important, you know, when I feel like, you know, a specific instance happened that I want to talk about, or maybe I'm feeling particularly passionate about the toxicity in academia that day, I will absolutely rant about it, no problem. And I rant to my friends about it, I rant online about it. Uh, I think it's important to draw attention to it. But I have a really difficult time of curating my presence on any platform. I think what comes through when I am on Twitter, or on on any sort of social media, is is really who I am. I uh, my passion for astronomy is, I mean, it's kind of innate to who I am. I I once described it to someone as if you if you've ever been in love and you know, that feeling of falling in love and being in love, that's literally what I feel when I look up at the night sky. And it's so strange because it's clearly not a human being. It's not an animal. It's not, you know, how, what does that mean to be in love with something like that? But that's how I feel. And I, I love being able to talk about that, that love with other people. Um, You know, Even if I had zero Twitter followers, I think I would still do the same thing of just, I learned this thing today. How cool is this? I mean, I think it's so amazing that we are able to understand the universe and learn about the universe, the ways that we do and the stuff that we learn is just unbelievable. You know, often it feels like I'm living in a sci-fi novel. Um, And I'm just so excited to be able to experience it. You know, I think both of those can be true. You can be critical about the academic institutions and and want to improve things while also kind of separating out why it is I'm doing what I'm doing and, and appreciating it for what it is. And I mean, you know, I, I looked at my advisor the other day and I said, do you ever feel like you have the, you're the luckiest person in the world to be doing what you're doing? Absolutely. And that's how I feel too. A lot of the time I feel, wow, I get I get paid to literally learn about the universe. How incredible is that?
1: <laughs> you you are for sure the person to draw more people into the field because now I want to do it. I don't understand it, <laughs> but I want to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean we need we need more people in it. Absolutely. Wh- Whoever is listening, if you're interested in astronomy, go go for it.
1: That's right. It seems like you had already kind of baked in the skill set of knowing how to share things, good, bad or otherwise, that it came naturally, that it felt meaningful when you came to a pivot point in your life that you continue to do the same thing with. And this is where the part where you had to get genetic testing done and found that you were BRCA positive and opted to have a surgery that you've been very open and transparent about. That is a whole other sport. And I'm curious, did it feel like talking about that, talking about this journey that you have been so remarkably open about, did it feel like the same work or did it feel like I have to now shoehorn in a new skill because that's how important this is?
0: No, it it felt very similar, but I think there was it was definitely a nonlinear journey to getting from when I got my BRACA testing and I tested positive to when I actually decided to share it with people. Um, that was about three three years, two and a half years in between. And during that time, I went through all of the sort of grieving emotions and and various ways of processing it to finally be at a point where I was ready to to share with anyone, let alone, you know, social media publicly. Once I got to that point, I I mean, again, it really comes from a place of, hey, this is something that I'm going through and I want to talk about it, partially because it's cathartic and partially because I want other people to be able to learn from my experiences and hopefully it will impact them in a positive way. The great thing about my social media presence and, and my experience on social media is that often it, not, I mean, hardly ever does it feel like work. Most of the time, I just get to talk about things that I'm passionate about and hopefully people respond. But if they don't, that's OK, too. I think when I really started sharing about BRCA and about my mastectomy surgeries and and all of that, um, It came from a place of seeking community, seeking catharsis, and that was part of how I processed it. And then also being able to educate other people on genetic testing and and educate people on on genetic mutations and preventative measures for cancer. Um, So... It definitely didn't come easy from the very beginning of when I tested positive. I was 23 when I tested positive. But once I was ready to share, I was really ready to share.
1: What would you say is an unintended consequence of sharing? Something that you did not expect to happen with the level of transparency that you've been sharing with the not just openness, but the kind of the longitudinal nature you've been this has been going on for a while and we've been on the journey with you I'm curious about an unintended consequence of doing that
0: that's a good question I I would have to think about it but I think my first answer would be I guess I really did not expect for so many people to reach out to me personally and say, I've been so scared to do genetic testing, or I have a family history of cancer and I've been scared to face it. And you've given me sort of hope and, and this extra push to then face it. I did not expect that at all. And I'm obviously extremely grateful for that consequence um, and being able to help people through their own journeys. But that definitely wasn't, I didn't go into this knowing that was going to happen or even anticipating that happening. I also, you know, it's interesting. There's obviously with anything on social media, you run the risk of having negative commentary and negative responses um I've,
1: I've i've seen some of the negative comments you've gotten yes. and they piss me off i have yeah. about a literal reaction to that as i do to anything as i shared with you my family's journey my wife's journey with breast cancer <laughs> yeah i give you a lot of credit for being able to move through that i get really really upset and i've yeah. never even met you before
0: <laughs> yeah no i appreciate that it's it's hard. And I, unfortunately, I still haven't grown a thick enough skin to kind of, you know, not care about it. I think, yeah. you know, it's it's hard when you're sharing anything on, on social media, sharing anything publicly. But beyond that, when you're sharing something really personal and something that is your own trauma or your family's trauma, um, you know, any negative commentary, no matter what it is sucks um and that's still something that i'm trying to learn how to process and not care about but i i think you know to me i would never say some of the stuff that people say (laughs) Um, but you know it's it's just kind of learning about the landscape of of publicity you know no matter what it is you're talking about there's going to be someone who who wants to bring you down and i I think from a positive sort of standpoint, it has made me like trust myself and trust what I say a lot more because I know I'm being true to myself and I am saying the things that are important to me. And so that's, I've gained a little bit of confidence actually, I think from that, which has been an unintended consequence, but I think ultimately, you know, a good period of growth for me.
1: That sounds like a really valuable unintended consequence to take away what you've just described happens in your chosen career that you are learning the value of your voice and the value of your statements and opinions and experiences
0: yes exactly um i think a lot of people struggle with so-called imposter syndrome um feeling like they don't belong and they somehow tricked someone into getting to where they are and i struggle with that a lot i think Women in STEM, underrepresented minorities in STEM struggle with that a lot. Um, And learning to have confidence in who I am and that I have something valuable to share, whether it's in space or whether it's with breast cancer or cancer in general, um, is definitely something I'm learning and I'm working towards. And I think has been improved. I've improved a lot since being so public about what's been going on.
1: Do you think as your graduate studies go on and then you move into your career, do you think or have you thought yet about how much your conversations around your mastectomy and recovery and that journey will remain a part of your forward-facing personality or do you think it might move into the background as the discovering supernova and mentoring young students and becoming a dean and all of these sorts of things yeah. happen have you thought about yeah. that yet
0: i have given it a little bit of thought i i think one of the most valuable lessons that i have learned and reflections that i've had about my journey so far is that i think it's easy, and I certainly said this, I think it's easy to say that the hardest part about being BRCA, um, having the BRCA mutation is, you know, you're faced with your own mortality and you have to make some really tough decisions. And to me, that tough decision so far has been removing my breasts and getting reconstruction. And I think there was an expectation going through that, that once the surgeries were done, I would feel better and I could move on with my life. And what I realized is it's not the surgeries itself that I'm recovering from anymore. It's really the constant presence in my mind of having to think about cancer and having to think about taking care of my body. Every single day, I'm thinking about what can I do to put myself in a position where I don't ever have to think about cancer. And the ironic thing is I think about it all the time. And so it's really been interwoven into who I am and how I live my life. Um, and the hard part about that is you do have to constantly think about your mortality. and you You have to question, why are you here? What do you want out of life? And that's something that I've had to think about as a 26 year old, which, you know, I think is quite young to have to consider those things. That said, I do not think that that aspect of my personality or my life will change. I still have a risk of having ovarian cancer. It's an increased risk of about 30%. And so I'll get my ovaries out in a few years. Um, that's another, you know, hurdle. But in the meantime, my mastectomy chapter is closed, but my bracket chapter is not. It's who I am, and I think I will always want to advocate for women's health and always want to advocate for advances in the field and communicating the science of what's going on in women's health to people more broadly. Um, and I have wondered uh, especially as I was first starting to communicate about my mastectomy will this affect my career choices or chances later down the road you know will someone a, a potential boss look me up and say oh well you know she talks about boobs online i don't think we she can work for us and i very quickly took away that if that's the case and I don't want to work at that place because I am helping too many people I hope um, and I am I am on this journey to <sighs> make women's health more accessible and and improve it and that is not worth being quiet or silencing my voice to make it more palatable to somebody else
1: that's a great skill set. The interesting thing will be to make that skill set accessible, normalized, taught, mentored, yeah. where you don't have to go through such a crucible to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and I think you know there is a lot of there is a lot of behind the scenes emotional labor and and work that that comes with being that voice and doing that those things, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. I really, really am. But I, I I, do think that transmitting those skills to other people is is hugely important. And I think that's one of the things that I'm passionate about is, okay, I want to make, for example, breast surgery and breast reconstruction options available um, like the knowledge of that available to women so that they are empowered to make their own decisions about their surgeries. And then they can go teach that to other people. Right. And then it's, it's a cyclical thing where, um, there's not one person doing all the work. And I am by no means the only person doing this work. There are a lot of people out there we're communicating these things. I am one of many. Um, but I think continuing to remove the stigma of, you know, people talking about their bodies, women talking about their bodies, showing pictures of breasts. I think it is insane that male nipples can be shown, but women, female nipples cannot. That's crazy to me. Um, I posted a photo on, um, a mastectomy group on Facebook, a closed group for people who have had the surgery or going to have the surgery. And I was blocked from Facebook for a day. Um, it's just, it's crazy to me that there's taboos still exists, And I think people are scared of, um, you know, not having power over women's voices and not being able to control the narrative. Um, and so I hope that that stigma continues to kind of get lessened over time and women's health is not as scary for people to talk about and face.
1: Here's what I like about you the most.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What is it?
1: It's that you are taking bold and audacious bites and making them sound normal (laughs) and i like that because that sort of thinking where it's not i am going to be the one in a million it's just this is the right thing to do and right now maybe they're big swings or maybe they sound that way but they should just be normal that should just be the way it is it's going to be rough for me but it'll be easier later that's cool
0: well, thank you. I I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I think um, I was talking to my therapist the other day about, you know, do I just dislike comfort? <laughs> I
1: constantly
0: <laughs> push myself right. through these really uncomfortable things. Yeah. Um, but I think I... Yeah, I'm guided by this I don't know if it's an ethical framework or what, but if I'm passionate about something, I I want to see it through and I I if there's an obstacle, I will circumvent it. I will Overcome it somehow. I will figure out how to solve it so that the next person can have it a little bit easier. That's that's the hope. That's the goal. Um, and like I said, there are a lot of people out here doing work like that. Um, there are many organizations. One of which is called the Breasties, and they are a group for young people with hereditary and reproductive cancers and they do a lot of this work as well you know there's a lot of groups that, that do it and i am just a voice of many but you know the more people who talk about it the more people who rem- who remove the stigma and and share their own personal journeys personal journeys are compelling and people respond to them because they see themselves um and i hope that i you know sharing even one person can respond and and um feels safer with their own, with their own journey.
1: It's great that we get to follow along. Your transparency has obviously brought in people from around the world. And I think that that is, that's going to be a, certainly a defining part of, the arc of your career and your life in its entirety. And I think that that's really exciting. People obviously hear this and they say, I I want in, I'm not following you yet. I'm not aware of you yet. I I want more. Where do they find you? How do people learn? How do they follow along? How do they get caught up?
0: So I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is star stricken SF. Um, so yeah, you can find me there and I talk a lot about space, talk a lot about women's health, my journey with my mastectomy, um, and my dog. So if you like those things, feel free to, to follow me and reach out.
1: There's one other thing that you are now tweeting about that I think is exciting. And I think that will be entree into the next time you come on the show and that you're, you're applying to be an astronaut.
0: I am. Yeah. Applications just opened. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, um, I'm nervous, but I'm very, very excited.
1: It's going to be fun to follow along. This was an absolute treat. Thank you for all that you've been doing. Thank you for what you will continue to do. This was so great. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to Mark at ExploreTheSpaceShow.com.